Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, she's the founder of Emerging from the Dark. It's Deanna Carpenter. How are you doing today, Deanna? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. First thing we like to do with all of our guests is talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Sure. So I am actually from a really small town south of St. Louis called Peebley. My entire childhood, my dad was the judge of this little town. Um, so everybody knew everybody and everybody especially knew me. So by the time we all started uh, driving, I would get random people coming up to me at school. I got a ticket. Can you talk to your dad for me? <laughs> Um, but so it was, you know, it was a really small town. Um, everybody knew everybody and, and being the daughter of a judge, everybody knew me and I needed to get away. So after high school, I, uh, went to Phoenix, Arizona for 20 years and worked and found my ex-husband and we had two kids. And, um, after 20 years of seeing nothing but brown and dust and desert, because there's not a lot of, uh, greenery in Phoenix, um, we, I decided to move back here. Uh, so we all moved back here. Things didn't work out. We're better friends than married, which is fine. Um, but my kids were in, third grade and sixth grade when we moved here, moved back here. And so we moved to Kirkwood or we started in Webster Groves and uh, my two kiddos went to school and uh, I, you know, I've worked my entire life, it seems. Um, so they, uh, they went to school, one's graduated and she was actually at Carnegie Mellon for two years until the pandemic hit. And now she's taken a year off because nobody wants to be in school during a pandemic. Um, and, uh, and my son's going to graduate high school this year. So, you know, the majority of, of my adulthood has been being a mom, but a working mom. So, uh, when the pandemic hit, I lost my job and had, um, had to spend a lot of time by myself for like the first month in my head. And I, um, I came to the realization that people who have survived um, trauma, especially childhood trauma, um, sexual assault, they go through therapy and they learn about their feelings and how to deal with the trauma that they, that they survived, but they never learn life skills. Um, and what I mean by that is I never learned really good communication skills. I never learned self-awareness uh, because when you're in an abusive situation, you don't want to be noticed. So you're always the quiet one. Um, and you're so busy worrying about your safety and other people that you never spend time with yourself. And, and so you, you don't, recognize your own feelings and so you may fly off the handle at somebody and not know why because you don't know yourself well enough so when I came to that realization I'm like somebody needs to do something that usually means that I need to do something because who else is going to do it um, you know I think that psychologists are great therapists are great they definitely know their stuff most of the time uh, but I think that survivors have something that they can give as well. Um, and I think that when it comes to the life skills and like communication and self-awareness, I think survivors teaching other survivors those skills um, will work better because we know what you go through and we, we know, we recognize ourselves in other people. Um, so that's kind of my mission with what I've done with this nonprofit is, um, you know, finding the funding, doing the research and setting up the programs to help survivors not only survive their trauma, but really live a good life beyond the trauma. Going through the trauma, did you feel that maybe your childhood was being taken away? Like you couldn't do like what a normal child was doing with playing with friends or stuff, but you were kind of keeping all these emotions inside and you didn't know what to do next. 
Sure. So my abuse started at the age of three. At least that's my first memory. Um, it could have been going on longer. If you just, your memory totally goes so far. Um, so from three to 15, I really, did I have some good moments in my life during those times? Absolutely. I still had moments of normality. I had moments of joy. Uh, but by and large, my daily life, um, I didn't, I still don't know how to be a child. Like in therapy, they always talk about your inner child, get in touch with your inner child. I'm still struggling with that. And she's somewhere there. I don't know where, maybe deep down, but I have a really hard time um, being goofy and being a child and, and doing those things. Like when my kids were little, it was okay. I could do it because they were little. So I was playing with them and it was okay. Uh, but you know, if, if I'm out somewhere and people are being all goofy and, and childlike, I have a really difficult time joining in on that because I don't know how to do it. That's just one of those things I didn't get to do or learn how to do. Um, so I think that a lot of survivors that their abuse was childhood abuse struggle with that same thing. Um, you, you know, you don't know how to be a child. Like you just, Disney is the closest thing to child that I, that I get when I get to Disneyland or Disney world, like then I'm, I can be a little goofy. Uh, but other than that, I didn't have a childhood in it. Yeah. I look back, I look at my kids and I, I tease them all the time. I'm like, I'm so jealous of you guys because you're living that life that I wanted. And I'm so happy I'm able to provide that for them. But at the same time, I do have a little jealousy because they did have a good childhood and they do, they are very self-assured and they're going for what they want to do in life. And and uh, I'm a little jealous, but extremely proud of that at the same time. Were you able to be open with your parents about what you went through? Or was it kind of hard with like your dad being the judge of the town and everything like that? So um, my abusers were family members. And one was actually my brother and one was actually my dad. And uh, so... I tried to tell my, my mom and my dad divorced when I was about seven. And, um, when I, and she left me with my, she left all of us kids with my dad. I have a brother and a sister. Um, so she just took off one day and was gone. Um, and that just opened the door for the abuse to intensify for me. Um, and so when I was 15, I moved down there to live with my mom thinking that, okay, now I'm going to finally be safe. and I'm going to have a mom who's going to support me and, you know, all that stuff. That didn't happen. Um, when I did tell her, she believed me about my dad. She didn't believe me about my brother. Um, and it was pretty much, I'm sorry that happened to you. I will talk to your dad. You don't ever have to see him if you don't want to. That was the end of it. Like, no, let's get you into therapy. No, I'm so sorry. I can't believe that I left you and all these things happened. There was no apology, no anything. And so for me, that kept me quiet even longer. So instead of trying to talk to somebody else, I just shut up about it and, and just buried it inside me. Um, which wound up leading me to an abusive marriage. Um, and then once I left that abusive marriage, I kind of had a mental breakdown and uh, wound up going into a hospital for a week and finally getting therapy that I needed. Um, but it was a really long road to get me to open up because of that initial uh, response. And, and that's one of the things that I really um, drive home with parents when I talk to parents or, you know, adults in general about abuse is you have to think before you speak when somebody um, opens up to you about what's going on with them, because that initial response is what's going to set them on their path. And it can either be a path of further destruction because you didn't respond well enough to them or it could be a path to um, survivorship and, and um, helping them um, 
deal with the abuse and, and get to a place in their life where they can be more than a survivor. They can be thriving in their life. Um, and that's my ultimate goal is to get survivors to be thriving instead of just merely surviving. As you were getting older, like getting to the age when you're in high school, did you have any like motivations or someone that you could open up to besides your parents? Um, no. The problem with childhood abuse is that you, um, you're really separated from your peers because of the abuse. Um, you tend to be over-sexualized. You tend to grow up a little bit faster than they do. You're just altogether different than your peers. So did I have some friends? Of course I had some friends, but I never felt close enough to anyone to trust them with my secret. Um, and, and being that my dad was a judge, he was a Sunday school teacher, he was well-known in the community, well-respected in the community. This was back in the 70s and 80s when this type of thing didn't happen, or at least people wished it didn't happen, you know, they wouldn't talk about it. Um, so I was in the position where I knew that if I tried to talk to people about it, I wouldn't be believed, I wouldn't be supported in that town. Um, People who are going through abuse know. They, they, they usually can tell who's going to be supportive of them and who's not. Um, and I felt like there was nobody that I could go to. Um, and again, at that time, there was no teacher training. There was no um, place that you could go to. There was no hotline that I knew of. There was nothing for me. Um, nowadays, it's I, I, I don't want to say it's easier because that's not exactly true. It's still extremely difficult. You're scared to death. You don't know what's going to happen, especially as a child. Are you going to be ripped away from everything that you know? What's going to happen? Because a lot of abusers threaten their victims, you know, with nobody's going to believe you. You're going to be the one to suffer. They're going to blame you, you know, or I'm going to go to jail for a really long time and you're going to tear the family apart. Just all this really horrible stuff that they throw on their victims. So you really feel unsafe trying to voice it. And that's why so many people don't come out until well into their adulthood. Uh, because as a child, you just, you don't feel like you're gonna be believed or safe. Did you have something that kind of kept you going forward? Like something you wanted to pursue to kind of keep you positive in a way with going through the trauma? That's, that's a really good question and one I've asked myself frequently uh, because I have a sister and she's five years younger than me. So we grew up in the same household, but she didn't suffer the abuse that I did. Um, and we took two different paths in life. I've always been a hard worker and, you know, and I really worked hard on being a good parent and not being the parent that my parents were. Um, my sister, unfortunately, went down the other path of being um, on welfare and having kids with different dads and not being in a consistent relationship or, you know, anything like that. Um, and I, I've often said that I want to know why, because I think there was something, I think it's a personality thing, and I think it's something that can't be taught. It, it you know, it's, I think it's something deep inside somebody. And I just knew that I wanted a better life than what I was living at the time. Um, I knew that I could do it. I just needed the break to do it. Um, and, and so I didn't have like this one big goal. I didn't want to, you know, my, my dream was to be a lawyer. So I, there was none of that. There was just this inner flame that I can't really, I can't really describe it. There was just this inner flame and burning desire to uh, survive what I was surviving and go on and do something better with my life than what my family was doing with theirs. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but it made sense to me at the time. <laughs> no, it does, because we always say, that there's always that question, what is your dream job in a way? And a lot of people have mm -hmm. a mentality where, they only they focus on that and like the things that they've gone through nothing it's nothing's going to stop them to get to where they go towards so you kind of were talking about how you you, you wanted to make 
like a better path for yourself anyway and show mm -hmm. people that nothing was going to stop you to reach to the path you wanted to go for. Were you able to pursue education and was that able to kind of escape the household that you were in where you could maybe branch out and feel a little bit more free in a way? Sure. So um, my education has been interesting. Um, when I was in elementary school and junior high, I was that teacher's pet. I had good grades. Um, and then in high school is when things started to fall apart. And I think it's because I was starting to slowly acknowledge what was happening to me. And, um, and it, it all kind of broke loose when I moved in with my mom. And all of a sudden, I had this person who was trying to uh, run my life for me. Um, and so I wound up quitting high school twice. Um, and and this, the funny thing is, neither one of my parents like said, you have to go back to school. Like it was just, oh, you quit. Okay, well, go get a job then. I'm 16 and I've quit school and it's, oh, go get a job. That if my kids would have never thought to even quit school. <laughs> so I, uh, so I quit school twice and then I did wind up going back to high school and just graduate. I had to graduate a year late, but I did graduate high school. Um, and that was me. I didn't want to go get a GED. I didn't want to be a high school dropout. I wanted to walk across that stage. Uh, so I did. And then I, um, met a guy, got married. Um, unfortunately he was abusive. That's why I wound up in Phoenix. Um, and I, uh, I did not go back to school until my son was six months old. So I was 33 getting my undergrad with two kids under the age of five, um, and working full-time job. So it took me seven years to get my psychology degree, but I did. Uh, and then I went back in 2017 to get my master's degree in public relations. So I did that. Um, so I didn't really, in childhood, I didn't really have a place. In elementary school, I did. I felt safe in elementary school uh, because I had a really good rapport with my teachers. And I would stay, I would actually stay after school to help them. Anything to keep me away from my house, basically, I would try to do. By high school, though, um, you know, the, the abuse had stopped by the time I was 15, so it was really affecting me, though, and I was making so many bad decisions, but again, I just did anything and everything I could stay away from my house, so if that meant riding around with a bunch of people, I rode around with a bunch of people. If that was going to parties, I went to parties, you know, anything to stay away from those houses, um, so uh, so safety, I, you know, elementary school, I was probably safest uh, when I stayed at school. Teenage years, I don't even think I knew what the word safe meant because I was acting out so badly. You mentioned when you met your ex-husband now, um, mm -hmm. the, it was an abusive marriage in a way. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like, how did this happen where I went from one house and I was going through that. Now I'm going to a different household and now it's almost re repeating again. Did you maybe feel stronger and you could handle it or you kind of had to do whatever you could to make sure you were safe in the best way possible? Sure. So I think when, when the abuse first happened, I felt um, like, well, this is, this is, obviously this is just what I'm put on earth for. Like, this must be what I deserve. I don't know what I did wrong, but it's continuing into my adulthood. So it must be me. So I, I definitely took all the blame internally. Um, but I was only married to him for two years. Um, and I, and I, I didn't have one of those, like you watch the movies and they always have this big aha moment, like something drastic happens. And I didn't have the Hollywood aha moment. I, uh, we, we were in an apartment and he left for the day and it was, you know, two days after he had beaten me pretty, pretty bad, but like not so bad that I needed a hospital this time. Uh, and I just woke up and I was like, what the hell am I doing? I, 
I don't deserve this. And so it wasn't really like this big momentous thing where he set the house on fire and I'm like, oh my God, he's going to kill me. It was more of a, I think it was a slow realization for me that I don't deserve this and I, I deserve better. Um, that caused me to finally go, I need to get out of here before this guy kills me. Um, and so I did. I like, while he was gone, I packed up what I could carry and left. Um, and he did try to find me a couple of times, um, but I was in a safe place with a bunch of people, so uh, so he couldn't do anything, and then he disappeared, um, and I later found out that he wound up committing suicide, which, you know, that's sad for his family, but good for me, I guess, because I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore, although I spent... Um, so this was in my 20s. So I spent a good 20 years probably looking over my shoulder because I didn't, I didn't believe because I didn't see him, you know, I didn't go to a funeral. I didn't see a casket. I didn't see anything. Um, and so when I moved back here, I actually just recently, I moved back here almost 10 years ago. I just recently found his gravesite and went to his gravesite and wrote a letter that I had written him, um, kind of a confrontation letter, um, saying, you know, how, why did you think that you could do the things that you did? And, and really just getting all of that venom out that I had held in for so long for what I had gone through with him. And it was, um, it was a, great experience for me. Like I felt so light after I did that and I recorded it. It's on my website. You can actually see me going off on, on a grave. I'm sure people driving by thought I was absolutely crazy, but, um, it empowered me because I finally was able to confront somebody that hurt me so deeply and they couldn't hurt me back. They couldn't interrupt me. They couldn't make any excuses. I got to say what I needed to say. Um, so I always encourage people to do something like that, not confront their abusers face to face because that could be very dangerous, but there's ways to do it. If they're dead, do what I did, go to their grave, yell at them. Who cares if people think you're crazy? Um, another way that, that I've done it is at an empty chair or have somebody else that you trust sit in that chair and be that person so that you have a face that you can look at and just, we hold so much anger and pain and fear in ourselves when you're a survivor that if you don't get it out, it will eat you from the inside out. Um, and there's actually research to support that theory. Um, fibromyalgia is one. I actually suffer from fibromyalgia um, and they have connected it with trauma that I was quiet for almost 50 years about my abuse. Um, that's going to take a toll on your body because you've got all this negativity in you. And, uh, and now that I'm doing all this, I find that, that I'm feeling better. Um, not perfect. And I will always have this pain, but I can deal with it better because I'm not, I'm not filled with that anger anymore. I think you brought up a great point where when you were at the grave site and talking and you mentioned that people might thought, oh, what is she doing? This is crazy. And I think nowadays people can relate to that with like social media and stuff like mm -hmm. that, where people might post something that's maybe heartful and have a warm message to it that they feel that they needed to express. And then you get all these people that are hating on the message, but they don't understand why that person posts that or why are they mentioning or putting a video out there. And I think if more people kind of maybe asked questions or maybe mm -hmm. got a better understanding on what that person may have gone through, I think society nowadays would be better and we can all be a positive support system for each other. But we see it all the time where people are utilizing the internet to kind of portray different emotions to people and then you see the hate and then it's like, well, maybe this was their way of expressing it. And that for you was your way to express it and being able to feel comfortable now and being able to show that we can all get through the things that we've gone through in a way. Absolutely. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is everybody has a thing 
that they're good at, uh, whether it's art or music or writing. Everybody has this talent that they're good at. And I always, especially the survivors that I talk to, I tell them all the time, use your talent to get those feelings out. If it's writing, free write. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody. Just write it. If it's one word over and over, write it down. If you're a painter, go paint. It doesn't matter if it's the ugliest thing that you ever paint in the world. Get your emotion out. Um, and I think people, when when you start talking about emotions, I think and I think people still have that worry that um, they're going to be judged, and and they may well be, but. Um, it's more important to get that emotion out than, than worry about some random person judging you and you're probably never going to meet them. So what does it matter what they think? So um, anytime I'm, I'm in a survivor's group online and anytime one of them is struggling, that's the first thing I say, what do you get at? Do you like to write? Do you like to, to play music? Are you a singer? You know, are you an actor? What do you like? And when they tell me, I'm like, go do it. Just get all that anger out. Find, you know, if you're an actor, find a great monologue that's full of anger and just go at it. You know, just find something that's creative that you can get that out in. Um, and it seems to help a lot of people. And I think that more people need to do it. It just, it, it isn't just for survivors right now in this pandemic, we are all stressed out. I mean, I don't know of one person that isn't feeling some kind of stress because of this pandemic, except maybe my son, because he's an introvert. And so he's loving it because he gets to stay in his room. But, um, but everybody's so stressed and they're not thinking, what can I do to get the stress out? And, oh my gosh, what, what a creative outlet we have right now during this pandemic. We all have so much time on our hands. Get creative, you know? Um, hey, I'm a horrible painter and I've painted several things that I will never ever show anybody, but I was stressed. I'm like, I need to calm down. What can I do? I'm going to paint and it's horrible. And it's like all these black and brown colors and they're all mushed together and it doesn't even look like anything, but it made me feel better. So, you know, if it gets pitched in the trash afterwards, great. At least my emotions are getting pitched with it. I think I could definitely relate. And not with, <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky if I can make a good stick figure good. I mean. Oh, I, yeah. Mine looks like they have scoliosis when I do oh. a stick figure. So. <laughs> I always use, um, it's like going on walks, finding a mm -hmm. new trail. Um, I, if I was near the ocean or something, I'd be walking on the beach every single day. Because Absolutely. Just, I always view when I went on a trip with uh, my family, the water was like an escape for me. And I went jet skiing and I'm like, wow. Okay. Oh yeah. I was able to ride so far out into the ocean. And it's like, nothing's going to stop me. No one's judging me. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. free now in a way. And I always look at a photo of myself on there and I kind of think, have that mentality in a way, like do what you're doing. Don't let mm -hmm. anything bother you. And maybe now I need to find a way to paint better. Maybe I need to <laughs> start. Well, I've been trying and it hasn't worked for me yet. <laughs> I, my grandmother, she loves painting and that's her escape. That's what yeah. she does when she's trying to stress in a way. And mm -hmm. I actually have, well, I did have some of her paintings, but it was kind of just showing like we all have, a creative side that lets us be free in a way. Absolutely, we need to tap into that more. We need to stop being afraid of our artistic sides. Yeah, so what was next um, after being able to escape from that? What were you wanting sure. to do maybe career-wise or did you find <clears throat> a person to be with or? Sure. So, you know, I, um, after, after I left my abusive marriage, I dated for a little while and got into several relationships. Um, and then, but my, the only thing that I ever, ever wanted more than anything was to be a mom. Like I was obsessed with, I'm not kidding. I was obsessed with being a mom. And I mean, and, and I don't know what in the universe was at work. Um, you know, if you're religious, it might've been God. If you're not, it was something in the universe, um, that kept me from, um, having that 
that big mistake um, at a bad time in my life because I never used birth control. And so, you know, the whole time I was married, I never used birth control. My teenage years when I was off the walls crazy and probably should have died or gotten pregnant or both um, with the decisions I was making, never got pregnant. Um, and so it was, so it wasn't until I was 29, I met my, I met my ex-husband, my kid's dad. Um, <clears throat> we were in our mid to late twenties and we were friends for a while. We were really good friends. And then we decided, Hey, let's get married. Um, so we did. And I was actually four months pregnant with my daughter when we got married, but she was sort of planned uh, because we were already going through infertility testing. Now he already had two kids, so we knew it probably wasn't him, that it had to be me. Um, and so we started going through infertility testing and uh, we were getting ready to go on a vacation and I talked to my doctor and she said, okay, well, we're going to try Clomid when you get back. Um, to see if that helps. Well, I never needed the COVID because I got pregnant on our trip. So yay, happy. I finally, I'm finally doing it. I'm going to be a mom. I didn't get to enjoy that pregnancy because I was sick the entire nine months. I was in and out of the hospital. I just like, they say it's morning sickness. No, mine was pregnancy sickness because it happened every day, all day, all night. Like I, I barely gained any weight because I was so sick the whole time, but I was still happy. So I give birth. My doctor looks at me and says, how you doing? I'm like, I'm ready to do it again. And she's like, you are nuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so three years later, I had my son and I'm now, you know, a happy mom. I finally reached my ultimate goal, which was to be a mom, um, which was amazing. But you know, my son's six months old and I'm working a dead end job. It's like, what do I want to do? So I decided to go and get my undergrad in psychology. Seven year struggle because, you know, working full time and raising kids, it's a little hard to go to school at the same time. Uh, but I did and I stuck through it and I actually graduated with an undergrad. Um, but then I stayed as an executive assistant because I found that I was good at it. Like, it wasn't my dream job, but I was good at it. And I just kept moving up the salary chain. So why not stick with it? And then when we moved out here, I started working for nonprofits and found that they need help a lot of times with public relations stuff. So I'm like, oh, I'll go back for my master's and I'll get a public relations. So I did that. Um, and, but the starting pay is so low for a public relations person that I'm like, well, I can't change careers because I'm making too much money as an EA to go backwards. So I stayed, but both of those um, degrees helped me with an EA position because as an EA, I'm dealing with the public, I'm dealing with the press. You know, a lot of times they're throwing other things at me that aren't necessarily part of an EA job, but they know because I have this background, I can do these things. So it helped it, those two things while I didn't go into those industries, they helped me with what I was doing. Um, so I always tell people, if you're interested in something, go for it. Because even if you don't go into that industry, it will help you at some point in your life. doesn't matter how. Um, and now that I'm doing this, I'm like, wow, I, was on this path my entire life and didn't even realize it because the psychology, you know, helps me with all my research and stuff that I'm doing. The PR, obviously, uh, you know, I need, I had to learn how to write grants during my PR degree. I had to learn how to do social media and talk to the press and, and do videos. So I, I'm, I know enough to be dangerous about a lot of things, um, but I'm not like, a professional at anything <laughs> so but I, I just look back and I'm like I this whole my entire life has led me to this point where I can now feel comfortable and confident in starting this nonprofit um, that will help people um, and give people the help that I didn't have that I desperately needed um, and didn't have. And now I'm in this position to be that for others. 
And for me, that is definitely um, that second place to, to having my kids and, and being a mom definitely is being able to help other people. Being in an EA position, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? Or what did you learn about yourself? Um, being in an EA position, I before I started doing that, I didn't really have a lot of confidence in myself. Um, I thought I wasn't smart enough to do anything other than like a receptionist job where you're just, you know, and please don't get me wrong. Receptionist jobs are hard because they're dealing with a lot of people and that's a stressful job and I never want to go back to it. Um, but doing all of that taught me that I'm actually good at talking to people. I'm actually talented when it comes to being someone that people feel comfortable coming to. Um, I was the unofficial HR person for a lot of the companies that I've worked for because instead of going to the actual HR person, um, I had employees that would come to me because they trusted me more to talk to and they knew that even even if it was just they didn't want anything done they just needed to blow off some steam they could come into my office close the door blow off the steam and it doesn't leave that room um so i i learned that instead of just instead of being just a receptionist um that i could definitely move higher um, and then the other thing that i learned as i was going through it is that I'm actually a pretty organized person, even though I never thought I was, because if you look at my bedroom, it's the most unorganized mess there is, but I figured out it's because I'm always organizing everybody else. So I don't have time to organize myself. Um, but those two things were really important for me to learn because they uh, upped my self-confidence drastically. Like when you have people coming to you and you've only been on your job for a week and they forget that you've only been there for a week and they think that you've been there for a year, like that's, that's powerful. That's very empowering to a person. So um, I, uh, one of the things that I do now as a freelancer is I help companies um, revamp their, uh, recruitment and retention programs. I'm actually working with a company right now for that. Um, and and I, it's all about communication. And so when I meet with the leaders, the leadership teams of these companies, one of the things that I reinforce to them is that they need to really look at their people and be a positive influence on them. Tell them what they're doing well. We, we focus so much on the negative in this world. We need to, if they're doing something good, let them know. Don't just talk to them when they're doing something bad and they need to be corrected or counseled. Let them know when they're doing something good because when they know that you appreciate them, they're going to work harder for you. I think that's a huge point. And I think it kind of strengthens the bond between like a manager and a if they're mm -hmm. hearing the good things that they're doing, that's going to make them work a lot harder. And if they're hearing like some things that they can work on, it shows that the manager cares about that person and they want mm -hmm. to make them grow even more. And then you brought up a great point where people are coming to you after a week. And I think a lot of companies, age and experience are two controversial topics that people go through. Mm -hmm. where, oh, you haven't been here that long. You don't know what I've definitely experienced that um, just be due to my age and a lot of the people that I work with, they've been there as long as I've been alive. And I'm like, right. I'm coming from a new generation and you kind of have to up the time frame and what you're doing. And when I was going and doing projects all across the work, uh, country and they're like, oh, you've been doing this for five years. And I'm like, well, I haven't been out of school for five years, but I appreciate the comment because it shows I'm working hard, I'm doing a great job, and people are noticing. Mm -hmm. And then they hear my age, like, oh, you're such a baby. You're so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. But then it just shows that you it's, confidence is definitely key nowadays, where if you're confident enough and you're getting the support, you're going to be able to do anything. And Oh, absolutely. Did that confidence help you start 
emerging from the dark? Um, it, I, so emer something like emerging from the dark has been on my mind for a very long time. Um, I have always wanted to do this. I just never, and I can't say that I never had the time because I'm sure I could have made the time somehow. Uh, but the whole pandemic thing really pushed it to the forefront because all of a sudden I don't have as much as, as many things eating up my time. I have more time on my hands. Um, so when the pandemic happened and I saw myself at home so much, it's like, okay, I can do this and I can do this now. Um, and I think that, yes, the experiences that I had um, at my jobs really, when I first started working, I had zero self-confidence. Like I just was a mouse. Um, and so I think that it took me those years of experience in the workplace to build up my confidence to the point that I feel ready to step out on my own now. I think that I've learned a lot. And, and that's one thing that employees need to do is they need to never stop learning. Like people in general, never stop learning. There's especially in this day and age, there's so many things that you need to learn now. Um, and if you are like me and a little bit of an older generation, you know, when, when I was a senior in high school it was the first time that we had a computer class. The computer program that I learned was COBOL. I don't even think that's around anymore. So yeah, yeah. It, it was a precursor to the HTML stuff. So, um, so when my son starts talking about coding, I can follow it somewhat. Not exactly, have no idea what he's talking about half the time, but I can pretend. So, um, and so if you're in that generation or even before that generation, I understand that it's scary. Like technology is a little scary if you're not open to it. I'm very open to it. I love technology. Oh my gosh, I get so excited when somebody from across the ocean contacts me. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like from a different country. This is so cool because I never got to travel like that. I've never been out of the United States. So like, this is so exciting to me. Um, and, you know, you don't, you guys don't have to go to the library to look up encyclopedias that are out of date already. You know, it's like, there's so many positives about today that the older generation doesn't want to acknowledge. They just want to acknowledge the bad. Um, and so I, I feel like a lot of times when I'm at a job, I'm that bridge because I'm part of the older generation, but I've got the mindset of the younger generation. So I try to bridge that gap. And I think that more companies need that. More companies need that, that gap bridged. Um, so that the older generation doesn't feel like the younger generation is just, you know, pandering to them or, um, you know, my son always says, okay, boomer. Yeah. We don't need that. We need like, we, we need somebody in the middle to say, okay, look, I get it. You don't understand this. And this is a little scary. Let's have a training and bring in the younger generation because they know this stuff, but do it in a way that it's not threatening. I know that's not an easy thing to do, um, but if they do that, then you'll have people like me that are way more confident with things and able to branch out on their own or speak up when they've got a great idea for their company. Um, you need to foster that, and I was lucky in almost all of my jobs, not all of them. There were a couple that were like, uh -huh. but um, if, you, if you foster that cooperation, you'll see such a change, not only in the relationships in your, in your company, but the ideas that are coming from your employees as well. During the time as you were, your kids were getting older, were you able to be more open with them through your experience or were you trying to maybe not reveal everything right away or wait until they got a little bit older to understand what really happened? Sure. So my kids have always known that my parents weren't the best. Um, they, you know, I, I didn't sit down with my three-year-old and tell them everything. Of course I kept, I always kept it age appropriate. Um, and then the, when they would bring something up that was related to my past, you know, if they were going through like sex education in school and they were talking about something, 
I would then open up a little bit more. Um, now that my kids are older, they know they they know quite a bit. They still don't know everything, um, but they definitely know quite a bit. And now that I'm doing this, of course, they're going to wind up knowing everything. Um, but but they've been really good. They they're very supportive of everything that I do. Um, I'm really lucky that I have these two great kids um, because they they are both like my daughter every. I think it's every hour, maybe even more than that. I get a text from her because she's up in Ohio right now. And uh, she's she's like, they still have, why won't they call this race? And uh, okay, now he's up by this much. And I mean, she's just very into politics and social justice. And uh, my son's very much into social justice as well. Um, so being open with them, I think helped them understand that the world isn't always a nice pretty place um that there are bad things that happen to people but you can be kind of a light for them um and you can fight for the people that feel like they can't fight for themselves um so i think that i think that if you are somebody who has gone through a lot in life and you have kids that um, being open with them at the age appropriate level um, is a good thing. It's, it's, you're not, I don't think that you're scaring them if you do it right. I, I don't think that you're going to cause fear in them as much as you're educating them and protecting them at the same time. If, if they know nothing, they're going to be open to um, being groomed by a predator. They, you know, they might fall into that bad relationship. Um, so I, parents should not be afraid to talk to their kids. Our kids this day and age are way more educated in life than we were because of the internet. Um, and, and so parents need to stop being afraid to talk to their kids. Their kids can handle much more than they think they can. Um, just make sure that it's age appropriate and appropriate for where your kid is. Um, and if you need help, there's all kinds of places out there that can help you have those conversations as well. When did you know that it was the right time to share your story with on podcasts or interviews? Um, I don't know that there's ever a right time for any of this, you know, because you kind of wish that it wouldn't happen. And, you know, there are days where I wish I could just close my eyes and pretend it never happened. Um, but I felt, I feel now is the time because I feel very strong in myself. I feel very confident in myself. And I feel the world is ready to hear these stories. I think before there was still, I, and you know, there's still some pushback and there always will be. Uh, but with the whole Me Too thing um, that happened and then the whole Jeffrey thing that happened, I think the world is, is more attuned to abuses that are happening. And there's more people out there that want it to stop and are willing to listen and take steps to make sure it stops. Whereas before I think people uh, just wanted to turn a blind eye and pretend it doesn't happen. So what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? Um, personally, I'm going to be an empty nester soon. Um, so I have that, um, like last night I was sitting in my bed and, and my son will come in um, and talk to me all the time because he uh, writes music too. And so he, uh, he'll come in with an idea or something. So I'm like sitting on my bed on my computer and he's sitting in a chair talking to me about whatever he's doing. Um, and then he left and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I only have a few more months left of this there's going to be a time in the next eight months where that's not, he's not going to be coming in and talking to me anymore. Like with my daughter, it was not as big of a deal because I still had my son here. Like, you know, and she's always texting and calling with my son. It's like, he's the last one. And it's, uh, it's a little exciting and scary and sad at the same time. So, um, so it's for me personally, it will be, um, getting comfortable with being an empty nester and really for the first time in my life having nothing but me to worry about 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be different and strange. And then professionally, I'm working really hard at getting the nonprofit going, um, finding grants and other funding for it, um, and just getting it up off the ground. Um, and then I also, like I said, I do the freelance stuff with um, communications for companies. So it's just getting all of that and keep going forward and uh, hopefully this pandemic lifts before too long and uh, and we all stay safe yeah for someone that's listening to this interview from your experience what tips or advice would you give them to overcome the obstacles accomplish their goals and rise to their challenge don't let anything stop you um don't don't believe the negativity. Um, find a good support system, whether it's your family or friends or random strangers that believe in whatever you're trying to do. Um, I found that with me personally, um, it wasn't family that's supporting this. It It is definitely friends, my kids, but, um, but friends and and these groups that I'm finding on the internet that are just um, amazing supporters of what I'm trying to do. Um, and you just have to make sure you stoke the fire because it it will it it will go down, um, especially during times of struggle and you want to throw up your hands and say, "I can't do this." Um, make sure that you take a break when you need to, and make sure that you follow some self care because we get, I know I do, I get so wrapped up in trying to get all this stuff done. I'm so focused on it. I forget to eat or I'm not sleeping. You know, I went two days without sleep because I was trying to get something done. And um, you really have to be careful with your health and self care because you don't want to burn yourself out before you accomplish your goal. So I think the biggest thing is definitely self care. Well, Deanna, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. We all have learned so much and you've inspired so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see our full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.